Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. I think companies have moved miles ahead of where they were when I joined BSR. This is something that no serious company can ignore. That was not the case when I joined BSR. I'd like to think that BSR had something to do with the agenda changing. While it's on the agenda and while it's taken more seriously, including in boardrooms and C-suites, I think we'd have to agree that by objective measures, if you look at how far we have to go to achieve the sustainable development goals, how far uh, we have to go to make good on the promises the Paris Agreement and how far we still have to go in thoroughly integrating sustainability into everything that companies do, I, I think we still have a long distance to travel. For me, it's all about the supply of capital and consumer demand. Those are the two things that have the potential to unlock progress, but currently they very often do create headwinds. I'm very pleased today to introduce Aaron Kramer to the Sustainability Agenda. Aaron is President and CEO of BSR, a global nonprofit organization that's been operating for almost 25 years, working with leaders and practitioners in business, sustainability and civil society to build a just and sustainable world. BSR works with a network of more than 250 member companies to develop sustainable business strategies and solutions via consulting, research and cross-collaboration. BSR's annual sustainability conference is one of the most important global gatherings dedicated to sustainable business. Thank you very much, Aaron, for taking the time today to join me on the Sustainability Agenda podcast. Great to be with you, Fergal. So it's it's a great opportunity to speak to you today, Aaron, and find out a little bit about what you do at BSR, some of the interesting initiatives that you're involved in, and also maybe initially just a little bit about your own background and how you came to become so interested and involved in sustainability. I did two things before I came to BSR. I worked as a journalist, as, as you have and, and as you do, um, and, which was great training. And I also practiced law, which I think was also great training. Um, I, I never intended to practice law for my entire career. And as I began to look around um, to make a shift away from that sustainability, or as it was referred to more often than corporate responsibility, um, drew my attention because um, it was it was clear that the way the world was changing that um, government didn't have all the solutions. Government remains very, very uh, important, crucially important, um, but a, a more dynamic, almost kaleidoscopic uh, approach to improving people's lives very much included business and the opportunity to marry uh, practicality and idealism um, at BSR was what attracted me to the work when I joined uh, in 1995. Right, right. As you said, once upon a time, it was known as CSR, and, and I guess also it's seen more as philanthropy, and, and it's been on a journey within organizations and within awareness more generally. Tell me a little bit about BSR and how your work has evolved. So we're a, a global nonprofit. We um, work uh, primarily with business, but also with many other partners um, uh, on a holistic approach uh, to sustainability. We really believe that environmental, social governance matters um, have to be taken together. Um, and so we try to take the most comprehensive approach possible. Uh, we work uh, through three methods. Um, we do one-on-one -on -one work with companies, we build collaborations, and we produce content. So the way we like to talk about it is uh, we do translation, 
uh, we do uh, solutions and we do collaboration. And those are the ways we try to uh, advance our efforts. We've got eight offices around the world, two in North America. I'm based in San Francisco. We also work from New York. We have offices in Europe, in Paris and Copenhagen, and then in Asia, in Hong Kong, Shanghai, Tokyo, and Guangzhou. Um, and uh, we've got a great team of people. We very deliberately uh, build a team that brings uh, a wide array of backgrounds, uh, both in terms of you know where people are from. We've got um, you know, uh, probably a couple dozen nationalities, um, similar number, number of uh, languages spoken by our team, but people who come from business, from government, from civil society, from academia, uh, I even a couple of lawyers in addition to me. So we, we try to have a diverse team because really at, at its essence, what we help uh, companies do is, um, is understand and, and translate the range of perspectives that um, they need to understand in order uh, to make the most positive contribution they can, understanding the intersection of business and society. Right. Can you give me an example? I'm sure they're wide-ranging projects, but the kinds of projects that companies might ask you to help them with. Sure. So um, let me. I'll, I'll start maybe with a couple of examples of, of work we do with companies individually and then talk about some of our collaborative work. Um, in, in terms of working with companies one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I had uh, I was on the phone yesterday and will be again tomorrow um, with senior executives from one of our member companies, a Fortune 50 company that is redoing its sustainability strategy. So we help companies build a sense of direction, ideally uh, pointing towards leadership wherever we can. We you know we we do consulting work. It's designed, uh, of course, to deliver quality services, but also really to challenge our member companies to go as far as they can, um, um, strengthening their business and making a positive contribution. Another example of work that we do um, getting to the core of business, which I think is most important, is we work with a company that was looking at a, a major acquisition in Asia to understand the human rights implications of that. Uh, of that acquisition, and that's um, that. That I think is an example of something that we're very happy about, which is seeing uh, companies um, really understand that sustainability is is not an, an add-on topic, but something that um, needs to be considered at you know in 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 in, in contexts like that. We also look to build collaborations. A couple of examples. One we're very proud of is the We Mean Business Coalition, where we uh, partner with six other uh, organizations um, similar to us, um, not-for-profit, business-oriented organizations working on climate um, to enable business to go further on climate and to help business lend its voice to the policy debate. Um, one that uh, collaboration that we're proud of that uh, we work on with many partners but is a BSR driven initiative is the HER Project, um, helping to advance women's empowerment, women's health, women's financial literacy and respect for women in, um, in global supply chains. And speaking the morning after the United States has had its first uh, woman nominated for president by a major political party uh, is a good reminder of how important women's empowerment is. Absolutely. 1995, 20 years, just over 20 years, you will have seen tremendous changes in sustainability, how companies are looking at it and what they're doing. How are companies doing, would you say, on the sustainability front? Big question, but just maybe an overview. Sure. Well, um, to borrow from American political uh, uh, discourse again, very briefly, you know, when President Obama was running for office, he spoke about how 
the arc of history is long, and, and, but it bends towards justice. And I think uh, that's a good analogy for where we are in sustainability. I think companies have moved miles ahead of where they were when I joined BSR. This is something that no serious company can uh, can ignore. That was not the case when I joined BSR. I'd like to think that BSR had something to do with um, the agenda changing. Um, and while it's on the agenda and while it's taken more seriously, including in boardrooms and, and C-suites, uh, I think we'd have to agree that by objective measures, if you look at how far we have to go to achieve the sustainable development goals, how far uh, we have to go to make good on the promises in the Paris Agreement, and, and how far we still have to go in thoroughly integrating sustainability into uh, everything that companies do, I, I think we still have a long distance to travel. But, um, but, but what we don't have to think about anymore is uh, legitimizing the notion that business um, has to attend to sustainability. Um, and one of the things that I'm most happy about also is that sustainability, which used to be seen, frankly, as a risk mitigation exercise, is now seen as an engine of innovation. And I think that's crucial because businesses like to create things. Businesses like to innovate new products and services. That's how they gain advantage in the marketplace. That's how they um, uh, make life better for all of us as consumers and citizens. And if you can um, tie sustainability to the engine of innovation and vice versa, I, I think the power of the concept is a lot greater. And we're seeing a lot more evidence of that these days. What would you say are a few high scores and few could do better areas? <laughs> so in terms of uh, places where there's high score and, and places where we, we need to do better, let, let's start with the positive, I, I guess. I think um, it's been very gratifying for me to see the, the rapid movement over the last three years in the business community with respect to climate. And I think um, business like, I, I hope, policymakers and all of us as citizens have realized climate is not a tomorrow issue any longer. It's a today issue. And it's not an abstract academic issue that's about polar bears. It's actually about the quality of our lives today and, and, and the sustainability taken quite literally of our economy and, and many of our businesses. So I think that's um, that is something that is, um, th that's been a success, even though we have a long ways to go. I think the business, particularly in North America and Europe, has also um, been, um, been embracing uh, diversity much more strongly and much more effectively. And that is very gratifying. Businesses have um, been thinking about how they can respond to the refugee crisis in Europe. Businesses have been uh, lending their voices quite strongly in the United States on LGBT rights, something that I think we would not have seen three, four, five years ago. So just choosing one, um, one uh, environmental uh, issue, um, although I view climate change as, uh, as also as an economic, social, and governance issue, but one environmental issue and then one social issue, I think those are places where um, a lot of progress has been made. Um, you know, I think there's still a lot of work to do in, in a number of areas. I think that um, investment decisions are still taken too often on the basis of short-term considerations. And this is something that um, operating companies still have a long ways to, to, to travel um, to, to improve things and investors 
um, have some new ways of doing things that I think are important. The other thing that I, I think businesses and a meta issue that businesses need to come to terms with is the overall question of consumption. We all know that Western consumption models cannot be applied globally, and yet everyone in the world has the right to uh, live a life of dignity and prosperity. So what that says is that our, the fundamental business model that we've been operating under for the last several decades, a consumer uh, and consumption-based economy, is something that needs a, a, a rethink. And innovation is part of the answer. Addressing issues like food waste uh, is is part of the answer. Technology is is part of the answer. Um, but there's also an existential question. Businesses basically measure their success through growth and through consumption. And it's not clear to me that that's a model that we can sustain over the coming decades. It's a, a very important question and a very interesting one. And you see companies, I know Patagonia, for example, and and others have promoted low consumption, no consumption models, and I think some mainstream consumer companies as well, very, very early days in that. Do you know of any interesting work that's being done in that area in terms of the low consumption, no consumption models? Well, um, I think food waste is something that's getting more and more attention. You see a lot of retailers, I believe it's Tesco in the UK, I think also Carrefour and now Walmart that are selling so-called ugly fruits and vegetables. And as a way to uh, raise awareness, that's great. The Consumer Goods Forum has, uh, has taken this on, uh, this issue on as well. The Rockefeller Foundation, with which we're partnering on food waste, is, has a major initiative in Africa looking at supply chains. So this is an issue that wasn't so much on the agenda a couple of years ago um, and now is. Um, in terms of the consumption model, I think that there's certainly work being done by um, some mainstream incumbent companies. In addition to Patagonia, Marks and Spencer's taken on the issue through its Schwapping initiative. Um, um, IKEA has been taking on uh, this effort. Nike has been taking on this effort. You know, all of the companies that are working on circular economy models. Um, this is something that um, that has been um, been a great step forward. But I, I think a lot of the progress on this issue is coming also from some of the disruptors and, and sharing economy models that are out there and growing um, have a very natural, um, inherent way of addressing the, the consumption uh, crunch. And if you look at Uber, a company that's gotten a lot of criticism, but if you look at Uber and Lyft and other car sharing services, what's really interesting about them is that they do take, they do appear to take cars off the road, which is great. Um, and they're increasingly being linked to public transportation systems as part of the last mile solution that helps you get from a metro station to your home without having to drive your own uh, car. So there are countless other models um, that are pursuing similar kinds of ideas. So I think some of the solutions on consumption will come from incumbents, and we're seeing more and more of that. But I think a lot of it's going to come from the new companies that are emerging. If you're on a journey now from New York to San Francisco, where are we, would you say, in terms right. of meeting maybe the sustainable you know, development goals, that kind of thing? Let's see. We're going from New York to San Francisco, not the not east. I usually fly from San Francisco to New York. But well, why um, not do it that way? <laughs> OK, great. Well, if that's the case, I think we've just crossed the Rocky Mountains. So we're about a third of the way into the journey. Um, but let me throw another aviation analogy at you. I think what what I've seen is that um, there's a great deal of progress. We you know we will 
we'll, we'll cross a thousand miles of territory, but then the weather may cause us to circle for a little while. So um, I think, you know, we, the, the progress comes in fits and starts. So I'd say we're, we're a good third of the way there. Um, the financial crisis caused a little bit of a, a holding pattern. We're, we're cruising again. I think the, the, the rise of the Paris Agreement and the SDGs allowed the pilot to put his foot to the, the metal and, and increase speed and get some tailwinds. And I hope that those tailwinds will continue and we'll get to New York for, with an early arrival. Very good. Interesting way of looking at it. And I suppose also there may be an acceleration as well as these ideas become more widespread. And I suppose many companies looked at it, as you said, from maybe a CSR or philanthropy perspective. And now not only are companies looking at it from a cost efficiency perspective, but you are seeing increasingly companies actually delivering products and services that have the sustainability at their heart. So in turn, they are actually helping support you know, consumers become more sustainable as well. Well, that's right. And I think the notion that what we're talking about is about philanthropy and so on, that's an outdated notion. And companies that define it that way are, you know, not only two years out of date, they're a dozen years or more out of date. So yes. I think that concept has been put to bed. I think we understand that this is about the very nature of our economy. This is about um, enabling people to uh, reach their potential. This is about uh, innovation, and this is about the business contribution to the most essential challenges of the 21st century, which are creating a global economy that really works for everyone. Um, and of course, that's an idea that's under a, a good deal of um, uh, political uh, challenge uh, right now. Um, yes. And therefore, it's very important, I think, uh, for business to demonstrate that um, that that the models that we've got are enabling people to live lives of dignity and prosperity, um, that we're preserving the natural resources uh, that that we need, um, and that they're contributing to open societies. Those are those are the big 21st century challenges that we're facing, and business is um, has got will have does and will have a, a lot to say about whether we achieve those common goals or not. The question of exclusion or people who, are, who have definitely been left out of the economic growth over the last 20 years in different ways, the middle classes and particularly, you know, poorer communities. To what extent does a smart green economy offer any prospect of change, any real change? How does that work? You know, I can see the, you know, huge demands for investment in green infrastructure and new technologies and so forth. But how does it really work in terms of these communities that have not seen the benefits of globalization? That's a very big question. BSR has an initiative, um, Business Leadership for an Inclusive Economy, where our, you know, our theory of the case, if you will, is that the core activities that businesses undertake, employment, uh, investment, and the creation of products and services um, can, but don't automatically um, produce inclusive economic growth. So in terms of employment, thinking about how, uh, how companies can help to enable the 21st century workforce with the skills that are needed, um, recognizing that um, we have massive change taking place in our economy, not least automation, but also just a different mix of skills that are needed. So thinking about um, the employment challenge in a way that brings uh, people into the economy in a way that allows them to thrive is really important and it won't happen automatically. Um, in terms of investments, um, companies will do well to think about 
all the places where they can invest. And it's true whether it's excluded populations in cities in the United States or France or the UK, um, as much as it is thinking about India or Myanmar or Kenya. And, uh, and I think that's quite interesting um, in that um, companies are now thinking more about the more mature economies of North America and Europe. And for example, we're working with some sharing economy companies right now to develop a set of principles that they can apply in defining what an inclusive sharing economy looks like. Um, so because, you know, the opportunity for whether it's uh, ride sharing or job sharing or uh, access to microcredit, um, these are things that um, don't automatically get extended to some of the more excluded parts of our uh, big urban centers in North America and Europe. And um, finally, products and services creating uh, the kinds of access that, um, that people need, whether it's healthcare, whether it's nutrition, whether it's housing, core products that are there and, and aren't always designed with excluded populations in mind. Now, the win-win here is, of course, this is if you design products for people who aren't currently engaging um, with your company, you, it's market expansion. It's, it's, it's just a core thing that businesses like to do. And so we think that this inclusive economy initiative, by looking at employment, by looking at investments, by looking at creation of products and services, has the potential, if done right, uh, to um, to enable more people to participate in the economy um, and enable companies to 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 grow their consumer base and 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 build market share. So um, I think it's really important, and this is really a new front in the sustainability uh, area. It, it's linked to the environment, but I think it's it there's a set of questions and a mindset um, that's distinct and really important. Right. Right, that's very interesting, Aaron. Going back to our aviation image for a moment, what would you say are a couple of the biggest headwinds that we face in terms of really integrating sustainability further into, into big companies? I mean, you mentioned the inevitable short-term orientation or profit orientation in a bare sense that comes to some degree, I suppose, from this idea of shareholders' fiduciary role, which I think is changing. Are there one or two other headwinds that you think are on facing? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's all about the supply of capital and consumer demand. Those are the two things that have the potential to unlock progress, but currently they very often do create headwinds. So we've talked a little bit about investors already. I think the, you know, the, the short-termism of investors helps to accelerate the short-term thinking um, among senior executives. And we all know the statistics about how, uh, how uh, shareholders now hold on to stocks um, for a much shorter period of time. We all know about CEO tenure. It's you know it, it's actually ticked up a little bit, but it's still not more than five years. Um, and so that speaks to a lack of long-term thinking. Um, when you talk about uh, quarterly guidance and so on, there's a whole range of issues. It was it was very gratifying, by the way, to see a, a number of American business leaders, including some. Uh, like Jamie Dimon, that maybe hasn't been a big part of this debate over the years, uh, put forward some corporate governance principles that would get at at least some of these questions. This came out just a week or so ago. I think that's a positive step. Um, on the other side of the ledger, you've got consumers. And um, a, a friend and colleague of mine, Joel McCower of uh, GreenBiz, uh, once said to me that uh, consumers are the biggest greenwashers of all. And we all know the polling data that show that Consumers say that they'll make decisions based on the environment or based on long-term value, but 
um, in the in, in, in at the privacy of the of the cash register to the degree we still have cash registers anywhere. Um, uh, they don't do that. And so consumer demand still is all about, uh, there's a lot of gratification, you know, there's statistics here or immediate gratification. There's statistics in the United States saying that the average item of clothing purchased in the U S is worn seven times. Well, you know, that kind of economy is not going to produce sustainable outcomes, but consumers are a wash in choice. Um, and very often too often, uh, we exercise that choice by buying more and more without uh, really thinking about durability and without thinking about what we really need. And 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 it makes it very, very hard for companies to succeed in that environment um, and succeed sustainably. So it's the supply of capital. Uh, you know, where is that push companies and the demand from consumers? Where does that pull companies? And right now, those two things um, are often inconsistent with sustainable outcomes. Yes, that's right. Very visible, the gap between so-called buying intentions and buying behavior. But it does seem to be changing as well, slowly, ultimately very important that consumers back their values with their behavior as well. And, and what then is your vision for BSR in the future, you know, looking over the next three to five years? Is the kind of work you're doing changing? Or you, you're already got a, a very wide a geographical footprint and in, in China and countries like that. What are you looking at? You know, we, we think about the trajectory of sustainability in this way. There's a, an early period where awareness raising was the game. You know, we think that's largely done. Um, we have worked hard to help integrate sustainability into business decision-making. A lot of progress has been made there, but a lot more needs to happen, and we continue to work on that. The, the phase that we're in now, I think, calls for systemic solutions, and that's where we're focusing a lot of our attention to build powerful collaborations, because quite frankly, the even the best companies, or especially the best companies, understand that there are limits to what they can accomplish on their own. You know, if you look at surveys about which companies are doing best, which, which business leaders are doing best, very often Unilever and Paul Pullman come out on top. Well, it's very interesting to me that over the last several months, Paul Pullman's mantra has been collective action. So here's the CEO who's most associated uh, with sustainability amongst large company CEOs anyhow, and he's calling for collective action. So I think that sends a powerful message that there's only so much that even the best companies can do. We need to build systemic solutions. And so BSR, that's why we've doubled down on, on collaboration, making it a core element of our membership, um, ensuring that the 15 or 20 collaborative initiatives we operate at any given time are as ambitious as possible, um, and that we try to bring all the members of an ecosystem, um, you know, individual businesses, value chains, uh, uh, industry groups, along with civil society and, uh, and, and in some cases the public sector, in some cases uh, consumers, to build systemic solutions because we really think that that's uh, where we are right now and where we need to be in order to uh, help businesses thrive and also achieve the big goals in the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals. So we'll, we'll continue on that path. We'll continue on the path of taking a comprehensive approach to sustainability, looking at ESG uh, issues together. We'll continue on the path of being a global organization, um, and um, we'll, uh, we'll continue uh, on the path of trying to meld individual solutions with collaborative solutions and and forward-looking content in, in terms of what we're doing. That's a great vision, Aaron. 
And I wish you the very best at BSR. And I thank you very much for taking the time to speak to the sustainability agenda today. Virgil, thanks for your great questions and really appreciate the time to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.